you know, we see these videos on Facebook and we say, you've got to see this, I've got to show you. And doesn't, when, when you watch something like that, doesn't that just bring you joy? Well, I want to start by asking a really simple question. When was the last time you experienced joy? And I'm not talking about just watching that video. But, and, and I'm not talking about just any joy. But I'm talking about deep, great, real joy. The kind of joy that you can't help but contain. The kind of joy that just spills out of you. When I was a kid growing up in Florida, my parents uh, took the family to Disney World. We lived in uh, Florida, uh, close to Orlando. And uh, we saw Mickey and Minnie and the whole gang. And it was exhilarating. It was joyful. And as I got older, Disney stopped being that kind of place for me. It went from amazing to just... But something magical happens when you become parents. And you take your own kids to Disney. You experience it through their eyes. And that's when you experience joy in a whole new way that is better than before. And I've got a picture here of the kids' first trip to Disney. There's uh, Mia on the left and Aiden. It's a long time ago. I know. <laughs> what? He's so cute. Fortunately, uh, that wasn't the last time I experienced joy, but it is a time that I remember most. And I've got a second question. And the second question is, how much joy are you living with today? Right now, this moment, where would you rank yourself on the joy scale? I think in our day, there are things that go on that cause our life experiences to go from amazing to just... uh, And we miss out on the joy that Jesus wants us to have. One of the things that brings me joy is to sing Christmas songs this time of year. How many of you like to sing Christmas songs? Just raise your hands loud and proud. Yes, a lot of you. We love doing this. And I love to sing Christmas songs, but not the here comes Santa Claus type songs. Okay? I'm talking about the ones that have a lot to say about the reason for the season. Last week, we talked about home is where the heart is. And so we talked about Joseph going home to his hometown of Bethlehem, which is known as, uh, in Hebrew, the house of bread. And at this time of year, we sing songs like, O Little Town of Bethlehem. You know, you can learn a lot about the Christmas story just by the songs that we sing. And we're going to do that in a little bit. In the Christmas story, we have all these different characters. We have Mary, we have Joseph, we have the Magi, we have angels. And these characters are responding to God for what God is doing and what God has done to this child, Jesus. Mary sings her song. The Magi bring their presents. And the shepherds can't stop spreading the good news. They can't stop sharing that with everyone that they meet. And then you have this little mysterious boy who is, uh, he won't stop banging on his drum. You know, pum, 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 pum. Clearly, he's never been around a little child before. Parents, you know this. You never wake a sleeping baby. Am I right? And then there's the angels. And the angels' response to God is joy. But not just joy, great joy. And that's the word that we're going to spend some time on today. Last week, we looked at the role of shepherds in the Christmas story and their encounter with the angel. And the angel had a special message of good news that the shepherds were to share with everyone. And I want to revisit that part of the Christmas story 
And then I want to examine what comes next. And so this is what Luke says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Good news that will cause great joy. Now it's interesting, largely because the angel uses that word joy. Joy has become a word that we talk quite a bit about at this time of year. It's on coffee mugs and ugly Christmas sweaters and Christmas cards. At our house, we have three little throw pillows that spell out the word joy. We put them on our chair. This is a picture of those little throw pillows there. It's sort of this universally sought after and accepted word in our culture. And I learned this week that the tears of joy emoji is the most texted and most tweeted emoji. And we got, isn't that funny? And I think anyone would agree that more joy would be a good thing. Whether or not you're part of a faith community, I think we can all get behind that. Not just the feeling, but deep, abiding joy. The kind of joy that we hold on to um, in our minds and in our hearts. Joy that can hold the weight of this world and the challenges that we see. Joy that doesn't fade when our circumstances change. Despite our culture's commitment to that word this time of year, many of us don't experience joy. Many of us don't experience joy at all. We actually experience more anxiety, more activity, a more acute sense of depression and loneliness and emptiness when the Christmas season is over. In the midst of all that, in the midst of this kind of chaotic season, there's these rather mysterious messengers of God, these angels who light up the sky with this simple but profound message. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Notice the angel doesn't say, I bring good news and great joy. Rather, it's a syllogism. And I read about this while researching this passage in Scripture, and I thought I'd use it. And truth be told, I didn't even know what a syllogism was. I had to look it up. And because inquiring minds want to know, I'm sure which is most of you, a syllogism is a form of reasoning in which a conclusion is drawn from two given or assumed propositions. So, back to the point. The angel is telling the shepherds, because of the good news, there will be great joy. If A, then B. Okay? And that means that true joy is always a response. It's always intertwined with. It's always connected to the good news. And there's a great thinker that many of you know, uh, C.S. Lewis. And he wrote many books, uh, including the Narnia series. Probably heard of the, the, the Narnia uh, series. But he also wrote a book called Surprised by Joy. And Lewis had a brilliant mind. And he also had a reputation of being brutally honest. In his book, Lewis recounts his search for joy. C.S. Lewis spent many years of his life as a very committed and very thoughtful atheist. Did not believe in God. He grew up in a church, but he rejected the rigidity of what he saw there and experienced as a kid. In this book, Lewis recounts how it was largely this word joy that led him back to faith. 
He could find no other lasting source of it outside of this person, Jesus. After years of searching, he finally discovered that what the angel said was actually true. Great joy goes hand in hand with the good news. If A, then B. Part of my hope for this message is to reconnect those two things this morning. To reconnect joy with its source. And that brings us back to the angels. The angels appear to the shepherds with this message of great joy. Luke writes this. He says, the glory of the Lord shone around them. Every year we read the Christmas story from Luke's gospel. And this verse is always included. It's very easy to kind of overlook it. But it's so important. You see, the word glory, this word glory in its original context has a bigger meaning. A meaning with more depth than we normally give it credit for. In the Greek, it implies a weightiness, a heaviness, an abundance. If there's one subject in school that I was worse at than English, it was physics. All right, I didn't know what a syllogism was, but it was even worse in physics. I, I literally failed physics in college. I'm not proud of that. It actually caused me to change my major. Okay, that's another sermon for another day. But I do know that there's this basic principle in physics that says two objects cannot occupy the same space at the same time. That means if two bodies need to occupy the same space at the same time, the denser, the heavier, the weightier of those two objects wins out. It will always displace the other. Now, what does that have to do with angels and joy and glory? A lot, actually. You see, this principle helps us understand a word called doxa, D-O-X-A. It's a Latin term for glory. And so this principle helps us understand that word glory. What we celebrate this time of year, what the angels came to communicate, was this new reality that God had become human in this person, Jesus. Emmanuel, God with us. Now, we might think of it as a sort of beautiful collision between heaven and earth. Up there, coming down here. Our human reality has collided with this new God reality. And here's the thing. When this collision happens, the weightier of those two realities, the glorious reality, displaces the human reality. And the angels are living proof of this. Living proof of what happens when God gets a hold of our lives. The glory of God shines in us and through us and around us. It's living proof of what happens when God displaces our own human tendencies like worry and fear and shame and regret. It displaces that. And that's the good news of Christmas. You see, at Christmas, realities collide. That's the heart of the good news. A fair question for us today is, what is the source of this new reality, of this good news? What makes it so good? Around this time of year, we sing a song called Joy to the World. And that was written by Isaac Watts in 1719. And there's actually kind of a funny story that's connected to the song. You see, when Isaac was a young boy, he thought church songs were boring. Anyone in here growing, uh, grow up thinking that church songs were boring? Now listen, if you are under the age of 18 and you have been here for any length of time, you better not raise your hands. 
So Isaac was upset that church songs were boring and that people would just sing them without any heart whatsoever. They just kind of mumbled the words. And so Isaac's dad said, hey, if you don't like the songs that, were being, that are being sung in church, then go write your own. And so he did. In his lifetime, Watts composed 750 songs. Don't go feeling too badly about your own existence, okay? Um, apparently it takes that many to get a good one. Because you've probably never heard of 749 of those songs, but you know Joy to the World, which not only became a smash hit, but believe it or not, is the most published Christmas song in North America. Again, this is just an indicator that our world is starved for more of this word, joy. One of the main lines from his song goes like this. Let every heart prepare him room. Watts based his song on Psalm 98. A psalm that's really important for us because it names what this good news is all about. The psalmist writes this. It says, sing a new song to the Lord, for he has done wonderful deeds. His right hand has won a mighty victory. His holy arm has shown his saving power. The Lord has announced his victory and has revealed his righteousness to Israel. The ends of the earth have seen the victory of our God. You see, the psalm speaks to what this collision what this new reality is like. It speaks to the Savior Jesus and what he will do. He will go to the cross and overcome death. And his victory will be your victory. He will extend this invitation to everyone. He will extend it to shepherds and to Jews and to Gentiles and to tax collectors and prostitutes and to you and to me. This is for everyone. He guarantees a love over your life unlike anything you've ever known or experienced. It's a love that's unconditional. It's a love that knows no limits. It chases you down. And then he will be faithful. He will not stop pursuing and breaking into this world until peace and shalom have been restored. Until every tear is gone. Until every heart is full. There's this new reality And the result of that is joy. That's what Peter's talking about when he says life with God is marked by joy unspeakable and full of glory. And several years ago, in January 2006, Amber and I went on a ski trip to Keystone, Colorado. Aiden was just 13 months old, and Mia at the time was inside Amber's tummy. And I'd never been skiing before that time, and it was evident. I nearly killed several people as I sailed uncontrollably down the mountain on my skis. That's a story for another sermon, too. Well, it was frustrating and embarrassing and a lot of work. Yes, I know. You be quiet. As we were driving from Keystone um, back to the Denver airport after the trip, Amber asked if I wanted to stop and take a few pictures in front of Mile High Stadium. As a Broncos fan, I didn't hesitate. So we swung into the parking lot around 8 o'clock in the morning, and security guards that were there asked if we were going to the game. You see, the Broncos were facing the Patriots in the playoffs later that night. 
And I said, oh, no, we don't have tickets. And he said, oh, you can get tickets. Well, our wheels started turning, and long story short, we ended up changing our flights and extending our rental car and booking a hotel, and then we bought scalped tickets. I know. Don't judge me. <laughs> to this day, it's the most spontaneous thing we've ever done. Well, the Broncos won that night, and there were so many exhilarating moments in the game, but the best of them was walking out of the stadium carrying my 13-month-old son in my arms, walking next to my wife, who is carrying our unborn daughter in her womb. People were screaming, we won! We're going to the AFC Championship game! And I've got a picture of that moment up there. That's me before the game in the top left, and during the game and after the game the, the, in the bottom right-hand corner. That night... I experienced joy, unspeakable joy. When I think about Christmas, when I think about the story of Jesus coming, it's like going from an embarrassing, disappointing ski trip to an incredible, unforgettable memory, a place of well-being. And Dallas Willard defines joy as the sense of pervasive well-being said, joy is the sense of pervasive well-being. It's knowing that because of Jesus, it's better here. It's joyful here. And the psalmist said it this way. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. Now, I want to take just a moment and contrast that picture of joy with what we often see in our culture. Most of the time, joy is chalked up to happiness or an emotion that we feel in response to a particular circumstance. There's a problem with that because then we become victims to our circumstances, right? We become dependent on something other than the good news to bring us joy. Well, there's a guy, a guy by the name of F.B. Meyer was a well-respected psychologist in the 19th century and he was one of the first people to help us understand this connection between joy, our emotions, and our spiritual life. Meyer had this really helpful observation. This is what he says. He writes, So when we accept the fact of Christ's existence deeper within us than our own, and make it one of the aims of our life to draw on it and develop it, we shall be conscious of a glory transfiguring our life and irradiating ordinary things. That's kind of a weighty thought. So in other words, this is what he's saying. The only circumstance, okay, the only circumstance affecting our joy is our acceptance of the fact that Christ's existence is in us. Okay, I'm going to say that again. The only circumstance affecting our joy is our acceptance of the fact that Christ's existence is in us. Our worlds have collided. And that irradiates or that illuminates everything happening around us. That bleeds into and seeps into our circumstances. Joy unspeakable and full of glory. See, what the angels know, what the psalmist knows, is that despite our circumstances, there's a greater and truer reality that has come to bear on earth. There is good news that cannot be thwarted by circumstances or by emotion. Now, many of you know that I work at Friends University, 
Um, but uh, not all of you may know that uh, Friends is a school with a Quaker heritage. And no, that doesn't mean that we have the world's largest supply of oatmeal. It's not that kind of Quaker. Okay? Quakers are Christians who have been very active in the human equality and civil rights movements. And there's this great Quaker theologian by the name of Elton Trueblood. And he says this. He says, I don't trust any theology of a person who doesn't laugh. Isn't that great? I don't trust the theology of any person who doesn't laugh. Here's the thing. It's not a flippant, uh, out-of-touch laughter. It's not a forced laughter. It's a laughter that rests knowing that all will be well. That joy is not an emotion I have to conjure or manufacture. I am held just as I am today. Just where I am within the pervasive well-being of God, whose victory is my victory. And the best part about this good news is, it's for all people. It's for the person who feels like they can't get a break. It's for the person who feels like they're just waiting. It's for the person who is living overwhelmed with anxiety or depression or fear. It's for the parent who is tired. It's for the woman who has suffered a miscarriage and is living with great grief. It is for the man who feels like he is just living one day to the next without any sense of purpose in his life. You are held as you are in this pervasive reality. There's unspeakable joy for you this Christmas. In the time that we have left, I want to just name three quick ways that we might experience authentic joy, more tangible in our lives this Christmas season. The first thing you might consider doing is simply saying yes to this new reality. Just saying yes to this new reality. And the biblical word for saying yes is repentance. And it literally means to change the way you think. In the Bible, there's this guy named John who goes around announcing Jesus' coming. And as he does so, he says, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. See, there's that phrase again, good news. And we looked at that last week. Good news is the cause of joy. And repentance is the gateway to good news. Christmas represents this collision of two worlds. It represents God's reality entering our reality. But we have a choice to make. Will we go on being the same? Or will we say yes to this new reality? Will we think differently moving forward? And that also requires that we say no in a way. Say no to our own kingdom, to our own queendoms, right? Our own pride, our own selfishness, our own indifference, our own entitlement. Friends, there are some of the, those are some of the biggest barriers to joy that we will experience in this life. Instead, we say yes to this new God reality. It's a reality that we want. It's marked by forgiveness and compassion and selflessness. Selflessness can change everything. Maybe there is a conversation you want to have with God. An area you know you need to repent. 
You need to think differently about something you've said or something that you've done or maybe something that you haven't done. You just want to say, God, I'm sorry. I'm going to think differently about my life. I'm going to let more of your glory in. And just to name it, just saying yes is not something that we do when we first decide to follow Jesus and then never do it again. Okay? This is a choice that we make every single day. Will we let the glory in? Will we let more of God's way in? Think about how cool it would be if we all made a commitment to do that. And this church was a place that was known for its great joy. That when people heard that word Christian, they first and foremost associated it with joy. Not judgment. Not an agenda. But real joy. What if the glory that seeped out of the angels that night was the same glory that shone through us? Through this community. Gang, we say yes to God. And that's where it starts. And more of his glory starts flowing through us. The second way we live joyfully this season is by making room. See, in the Christmas story, it's really interesting. You have the angels, and they're the most joyful characters of all. They're the most joyful because they're perpetually living in this new reality of Jesus. And then contrast the angels with the innkeeper, who we indirectly meet earlier in that chapter. We meet him when he had no room for Mary and Joseph and the about-to-be-born Jesus. Now, we can't be too hard on the innkeeper, Okay? The story says that there's a Roman census taking place, and so there's people that are flooding into Bethlehem. There is probably only one inn, one hotel for all those people. The simple reality is that it's full. There's no more room. It's not an overt re- rejection. Okay? It's not like this confrontational no to Jesus. You can't come in. Instead, it's something more dangerous. It's a default no. It's a, my life is too full. My schedule's too packed. There are too many parties to attend. Too many gifts to buy. Too many family members to feed. Too many religious services to be a part of. Sorry, but no. How many of you today are saying a default no to Jesus? Because you're too busy. Too full. No vacancy. But also no joy. See, saying yes to God is important, but then we're called to structure our lives in a way that we continue to make room for God in our lives. Let every heart prepare him room. It's interesting. As you read through the Christmas story in the Gospels, people are always having to give up something to gain joy. The shepherds had to walk away from their sheep so they can hurry into Bethlehem. The Magi who visited Jesus had to say no to Herod. They had to blatantly disobey him, something that was very dangerous to do in that day, so they could say yes to Jesus, so they could say yes to joy. What will you say no to this Christmas to make room for joy? How will we be less like the innkeeper And more like the angels. There are really simple ways that we can do this. 
Maybe it's saying no to answering work email from home so that you can spend more time with your family. Maybe it's no to phones at the dinner table so that you can be fully present. Maybe it's no to talk radio on your way into work so that you can listen to Christmas tunes. Those old and faithful songs that give you a space and a way to remember what Jesus has done and then respond. As we were preparing for this Advent message series, I thought about some ways that I could make space for Jesus and the joy of the Christmas season. And so for just for the next few weeks, as we approach Christmas, I'm spending 15 minutes every morning reading through the Gospel of Luke. And then when I finish, I just start over again. It's my way of making space this season, staying connected to the source of joy. And then finally, the last thing is pay attention. Pay attention to the doxa. There's that word again. Pay attention to the ways in which this beautiful reality of God is already breaking into your life. See, after having visited the baby Jesus, we're told this. Luke says, The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. You see, the shepherds have just witnessed the birth of the Savior and they left their sheep. They made space for joy. And now, they're traveling home. Luke is quick to point out that everything looks different for them. They can't help but offer gratitude, even for the smallest of gifts. They can't help but worship as they go. Now notice, they're going back to the same old jobs, the same smelly old sheep, the same old night shift. But they have a different lens. They're going with a different vision. Friends, the same is true of us. The more attentive I am to what God is doing in the world, the more naturally my response will be joy. I'm going to say that one more time. The more attentive I am to what God is doing in the world, the more naturally my response will be joy. We practice by paying attention to a new day, to people sitting around us in this room, to a community, to a sunrise, to a meal before us, to Christmas decorations in my neighbor's yard, to the sound of children playing outside. We pay attention. We say thanks to God for all the ways he is colliding and breaking into this world. And if we start to pay attention enough, we start to say thanks enough, pretty soon we'll find ourselves immersed in this new reality where we see God at work in all things and we cannot help but be joyful. In the book of Revelation, there's a snapshot of those characters, those angels again. We're told they're worshiping God. And this is what John writes. He says, day after day and night after night, they keep on saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, the one who always was, who is, and who is still to come. Now, that verse, that may be difficult for you because you may read that, you may see that and go, wow, that sounds like a never-ending church service. That sounds painful. It's actually this beautiful picture of joy. When our kids were young, we'd take them to the beach. We had this little spot in Cocoa Beach that was perfect because the waves weren't too rough and it was uh, just a perfect spot for swimming. 
Now, our daughter Mia was about four or five years old at the time, and one of the things that we did was the cannonball game. Okay, she'd curl up in a little cannonball, and I'd launch her into the air, and then she'd splash in the water. And this was fun, like the first ten times we did it. After that, my arm got sore, and my back started aching. But because I love her, I threw her into the ocean. And after she splashed, she'd swim back to me and say these words. Again, again. And let me tell you, we did it again. And again. And she was so thrilled. So deeply joyful. We can learn a lot about joy from kids. I think of her when I read that passage from Revelation. You know, to be so content. To be so situated in this pervasive and good reality that all we say is, again, again, repeat the sounding joy. Repeat the sounding joy. Let's do it again. It's for you this season. It's home where the joy is. Let's pray. Oh God, we say thank you. Thank you today for this season. Thank you for a time to focus on that truth that Jesus has come. That we don't have to be afraid. God, I pray as we walk through this season, we would make space just to live in the goodness of this new reality. To see you in ways we otherwise might not have seen you. God, we ask that you reveal yourself in the ordinariness of our day-to-day. May our response be one of worship and one of great joy. We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.